Welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and we are going to begin a brief study in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is really a unique book when it comes to the Old Testament and really uh, the Bible in general. It's part of what we call the wisdom literature that would also include um, some of the books in the Old Testament, like the Psalms, as well as Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Uh, Ecclesiastes is unique in the fact that it really comes from the perspective of someone as though they're speaking to, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, an unbeliever, someone who isn't convinced of the reality of God and how God interacts with uh, humanity. And they're really starting to strip away, does life really have any meaning if that's not the case? So really the big big, uh, idea of this particular lesson is that we see that Apart from God, life is meaningless and it's empty, and that it's our responsibility to look to God uh, in His ways to find real purpose and meaning, not just in spiritual and religious aspects of life, but really every single area of life. Um, Just a little bit of background, uh, many attribute this particular book to Solomon, and we'll discuss a little bit more about, about that fact, but... You know, Solomon asks God for wisdom as early back as we look uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 1. And then he obviously becomes famous as being what the Bible terms as one of the wisest people that's ever lived in First Kings chapter 4. So what we find a lot of uh, Solomon's wisdom in Ecclesiastes comes to the conclusion that um, we can still act foolishly in spite of having great wisdom. In fact, we can think of some of the behaviors that Solomon uh, ended up engaging in. We think of uh, the marriage to many uh, idolatrous wives for the sake of uh, peace treaties um, from, with other kingdoms. Um, just uh, his pursuit of riches and wealth and things that simply, as he put it, would be vanity or they just wouldn't satisfy. So here we have uh, really a compilation of Solomon's wisdom here in the book of Ecclesiastes. And another name for the book of Ecclesiastes is, is essentially called the, the Preacher. Uh, and that's really the opening verses. The opening verse uh, for the book is, it's as though a sermon is being unfolded for us of what it would look like uh, to live in a completely godless world. So in uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, uh, the real overarching theme is that apart from God, any activity that we engage in is meaningless, it's fleeting, and it can be monotonous. Um, and again, Many scholars would say that the king and the teacher and the preacher that's introduced in verse 1 is in fact Solomon. It could be uh, written as early as uh, like 934 BC, but it could be later. Um, but as I said earlier, uh, it certainly has um, Solomon-like wisdom permeating the whole book. And the reality is, is that Christian and Jews have associated the book of Ecclesiastes with, a Sol- with Solomon for almost 3,000 years. Even though uh, it, one of the big characteristics that um, may not have been that Solomon wrote this directly is that it doesn't have his name on it. Being the greatest king that ever lived, it would make sense that he would put his name on it. But either way, um, it opens with the reference of the teacher or the preacher and the son of, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And really no one fits that description as well as Solomon does. Now, some scholars, as I said earlier, believe the book is a compilation of thoughts and writings from Solomon, kind of like Proverbs is. But it's clear that the book represents the thoughts of Solomon, whether he wrote it in in the form that we have it, or someone compiled all of these wisdom sayings together, as were previously recorded earlier. And the Hebrew word that describes the writer can be translated teacher or preacher. It depends on the context of the verse. And Solomon seems to have understood that God intended for his gift of wisdom to serve others, not just himself as the king or the administrator of the kingdom. Someone with a gift such as Solomon has an obligation to help God's truth pass into the popular understanding of his people. We're passing down these wisdom sayings to the next generation. 
We get to verse 2, we see this phrase, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanities of vanities, all is vanity. And translations vary for this. In, in fact, the translation I just read from the King James uses the word vanity. And in the time of that translation, vanity did not mean excessive pride in one's appearance or their reputation, as we kind of understand it in our culture. It really refers instead to the emptiness or the uh, ineffective outcome of something, like uh, laboring in vain, uh, those who build without the Lord. Other translations use synonyms such as worthless, meaningless, or fleeting. And others mention frustration or emptiness. The word comes from a root that literally means breath or vapor, something that's going to vanish quickly, and that everything under the sun is passing away and rapidly is passing away as cycles turn over. Picture trying to hold on to a vapor that rises from a cup of coffee or your exhaled breath on a winter day. As soon as you breathe it out, no sooner than you breathe it out is it gone, is it disappeared. And that's the, the effect that Solomon is trying to speak to us here in this first chapter. And with verse 3, Solomon challenges us to consider what life is really like apart from God. And here's the reality. It's a lifetime of toil and labor. What do we really get from life after all? Solomon asked many penetrating questions and questions that and this is why I think this book is often avoided, because they can seem kind of dark and really rather discouraging. But to understand what's going on, we have to focus on the sphere of activity that Solomon is describing, and he will describe certain spheres of activity over the next few verses. But all of these things are found under the sun. This is not life according to heaven or the kingdom of God. This is life in the dirt and the mud, life under the sun apart from God. So if secular scientists are right, think this all the way through. And billions of years into the future, all stars, including ours, will die out. Then everything's going to die. Now, that seems like a very morbid thing to say, but in light of that, how could anything really matter? If that's all there is, we are not designed for this kind of meaninglessness. And we're not designed to find or create our own meaning or to look inside ourselves for meaning. We're built to live in the meaning and purpose for which God has created us. And apart from God... There really is no purpose. So the earth and its cycles continue even as generations of the sun come and go. You read that in verse 4. One generation comes, another one goes. We're forgotten. You go through, walk through the graveyard and majority of the tombstones you see two generations later, no one remembers who that person was. So Solomon then turns his attention to the natural phenomenon that illustrate the idea of this just ceaseless cycles of coming and going, the rising and the setting of the sun in verse 5. In verse 6, the sun travels from the east to the west. It goes round and round. The earth travels and everything goes in a circular pattern. In verse 7, we see the water cycle, how the streams go to the sea, but then the water evaporates and condensation happens. It rains and the rain hits the streams and the streams go back to the sea again. Just this endless cycle as Solomon saw it. And he sees this whole cycle in verse 8 as a real burden for us to understand. In fact, it's even more than Solomon can express as he... uh, Uh, writes to us in verse 8. He also understood how the products of human senses, especially sight and sound, were never enough to bring satisfaction to people. And we find that to be true today. Think of social media and online business, how it functions, that they try to generate for us the right picture so that we will um, click on certain ads or things that we never knew we needed in the first place to provide in us an appetite that's going to lure us to um, buy things that we don't really need. And there's even a word for this. That word is clickbait. And and the truth is that we feel like we can just simply never get enough. And the people of Solomon's day let their eyes and ears wander through temptation, the same that we do, to sin and to just emptiness and uh, frivolous things. 
They didn't need computerized clickbait like we have. And technology has changed, but human nature hasn't changed. Read verses 9 and verse 10. There's nothing new. Nothing's changed. Customs, languages, nations, and tools change. But people involved are very much like those who went before or that will come after. So speaking of before or after, as we get to verse 11, it observes how the repeating cycles of humans' remembrance are also empty. How many people of the past can most of us recall? I mentioned that earlier. Not very many. Even in our own family trees, we probably can't recall very many people outside of our grandparents and going forward. Even the most avid historians among us know only a few out of the millions of human beings who have ever preceded us. So how many of us will make a name that will be remembered for more than a generation or two of our own descendants? And given enough time, everything's forgotten. According to Solomon, under the sun... The natural cycles that Solomon used put our time here on earth in a different light, one that's not always comfortable for us. I don't enjoy thinking about my life as, in the grand scheme of time, being relatively insignificant, especially if this is all that there is, and there is no God. But we need to help generations following us to understand that all generations pass, even ours and theirs, They're all pretty much the same from one to the next, especially if God's out of the picture. Solomon's observations hold true in spite of, and you read this in popular culture, the much-hyped references to the different kinds of generations. You've got your boomers, your baby boomers, your Gen Xers, your millennials, your Gen Zs, your Gen Ys. And the thing is, if we want something lasting and eternal, we will need to find it outside the world's cycle and demise. If I can dig a little bit deeper here, there's a few questions that happen Uh, when it comes to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and the things that Solomon referenced. And it's fascinating to know that he had so much wisdom so early on to identify the different aspects of the world cycles and how the sun rises and the sun sets. And sometimes we don't give enough uh, value to the knowledge that ancients had. We think that we are the smartest generations that ever lived, but the truth is that these people had minds as sharp as ours and were able to observe things that we can observe and come to conclusions that we never even realized. And when we get to um, these kind of wisdom sayings, we understand that their philosophy, that their uh, understanding of life was so rich and so deep. And so we, we, what do we want for our children and our grandchildren to understand is that they, what they do and how they live are important, not because they found meaning in themselves or because they created meaning or there is no meaning whatsoever, that the value of how they live and what they do is because of God in every area and aspect of life. Not because of what they find here under the sun. Naturally, we will need to model this behavior for them. So as we unpack the first half of this chapter, what's the great application? Well, it's finding meaning and purpose in knowing and serving God not in what is earthly and fleeting. And it causes us to ask the, answer the question, apart from God, where do people in our culture look for meaning and purpose? And many times we are looking for meaning and purpose in our possessions and pursuit of power, political or otherwise, in money and riches and things that we can gain and we can use for our pleasure, our careers, our, our relationships. We, find, we try to find purpose and meaning in all of these things. And when we pour ourselves into e- any one of these aspects, When we find them wanting, well, we lose meaning for our own life. And we see that happen to people time and time again. But the one one point of reference that never changes is always God. And what he has created us for and the purpose he has created us to do. So what are some earthly activities that never really seem to satisfy people? There's all different kinds of addictions like drug abuse and alcohol and gambling and pornography. There's just silliness like, you know, revelry and partying and seeking after worldly pr- pleasure. Too many times we find work 
workaholism, if I can put it that way, of trying to pour every ounce of energy we have into our, our work and what we do. And the reality is you could spend 20 years of your life, pour everything you have into your job, and someone could walk into your office and say, your position has been uh, removed and we no longer need your services anymore. And when that happens, what where do you find your meaning? Or perhaps you pour your life into your family, apart from the reality of what God's called you to do. And, you know, 20 years into a marriage and somebody says, oh, I just don't want to do this anymore. What do you, where do we find our meaning? Or our kids just walk away and say, mom and dad, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Where do we find our meaning in those areas of life? Well, we have to find our meaning in what God has called us to do and who he has called us to be and what he has created us for. And that meaning never changes. So what activities help us pursue what is eternal and fulfilling? Well, we must pour ourselves wholeheartedly into the things that help us know God better. And we're going to know God through the revelation of his word, allowing him to speak to us through prayer, allowing ourselves to come together and serve one another and to hear the preaching of God's word and worshiping him and doing what God has gifted and called us to do. There are many ways that we can pour ourselves into eternal purposes that we find great meaning and purpose in engaging in. So we're going to come back and we're going to look at the second half of this um, about that the idea that apart from God, seeking wisdom and understanding or pursuing just about anything really has no meaning. So you come back and we'll look at this next section together. Welcome back. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and we're going to look into verses 12 through 18, kind of wrapping up this opening chapter of the great preacher all the Solomon, uh, all the Solomonic wisdom that we find here, uh, all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And as we get to verse 12, we realize that so- Solomon certainly achieved a great deal. In fact, he would be one of those people, as we mentioned earlier, who who continues to live out through history, and uh, even still through that, he didn't find meaning in those aspects. You know, he had the time and the resources to learn whatever human knowledge or wisdom was available in his day. And did wisdom free him or make him glad? I think it didn't, because when you get to verse 12 and 13, it seems like he says, I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done. But this is sore travail or labor. It's, it's the idea of, of, of a woman in labor giving birth to a child. It's incredibly heavy burden and painful. And God has given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. That it's a great burden that God has placed on us to try to find lasting meaning in human activity. It's really no more fruitful, he says in verse 14, than just chasing the breeze. So what are we trying to do? Well, we have to point out the emptiness of life apart from God demonstrates that we are special creations of God. You, this, is, this is proof almost of the existence of God because we simply can't find meaning anywhere else. God has created us an eternal soul that's designed for relationship with him. So as parents and grandparents, we need to instill this truth in our children. The reality is, is that the CDC statistics tell us that the second leading cause of death in 12 to 19-year-olds is suicide and homicide. It's 24% of total deaths that happen in that age group, which tells us that in that age group that they have come to the conclusion that either their life is worthless or the lives of others is worthless. So we need to pour this truth into them that apart from God, life has no meaning, but with God, great value can be found. And the crooked in verse 15 does not denote this perverseness or wickedness, but rather a deep, impenetrable, or hard to get to the bottom of. It's hard to understand. There are things that we just can't figure out. 
Even worse, we don't even know what we do not know, as Solomon says. So his quest to understand comes up empty because we're not even sure if we have wrapped our minds around everything. That's why the writer in Psalms can say the fool has said in his heart there is no God, because in order to say there is no God, you must be God and know all things. And here he is drinking deeply from the cup of wisdom and knowledge. He looked at it from all sides, including insanity and folly. And apart from God, his pursuit of the wind of wisdom was fruitless. In verses 16 and 17, he says, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceived that this is also vexation or frustration of spirit. So here Solomon warns that wisdom and knowledge carry heavy baggage of sorrow and grief. And this is the perspective of a man whose heart has drifted away from God. It astonishes us that his testimony comes from one who repeatedly advises us to seek wisdom. So here we are encouraged all throughout the book of Proverbs to increase in wisdom. But here we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and Solomon warns us that great wisdom is a great burden. So what should we do? Well, as we come to the end of the first chapter, we recognize how serious what Solomon describes really is. He doesn't mention God until describing the burden that God has placed on mankind. And it is indeed a heavy burden to understand that an entire life's activity, if done apart from God, will amount to nothing. So what good are riches and what good are wisdom and knowledge if all we can do is disappear into just the nameless ranks of those generations that went before us? Well, Christian believers long to say at this point, but wait, we're not merely under the sun. And, And that's why reading Ecclesiastes can be such a difficult journey because we want to climb the summit much sooner than we should. So Solomon is is taking this viewpoint not from the mountainside or from the mountaintop. He's taking the viewpoint from the bottom of the valley. And he speaks seriously to those who've looked no further than their limited under-the-sun horizons, those who've said in their heart there is no God. And the truth is, the perspective of that vantage point is not very good. So as we age, we find ourselves agreeing more easily with some of Solomon's more discouraging observations. But we must not give in to the temptation to keep our view under the sun. We must live life looking upward to the sun, the Son of God, for our own good and that of those who follow us. So digging a little bit deeper as we wrap this up, Solomon receives special wisdom from God, but this doesn't mean that he just woke up really smart one day. In fact, it's it's not as though God had downloaded data into Solomon's brain. His own testimony declares, as we just read, that he devoted himself to study. He explored everything that's done under heaven, and he applied himself to the understanding of wisdom. And likewise, God gives us gifts, and he gives us abilities, even today. But we shouldn't expect that to be magical. We need to apply ourselves as well to the understanding of God's Word and to apply it to every area and aspect of life. This is what it means to view our lives from the mountaintop rather than the bottom of the valley. But sometimes we have to walk people through this journey of the winding road up the hillside to bring them to the viewpoint that there is more than life under the sun, that we must live life according to the Son of God and His principles. So let us find true wisdom and understanding in God's Word and not in worldly sources that reject it. And some examples of today's worldly wisdom that differ from the wisdom that God's revealed would be um, worldviews like evolution or gender issues, sexuality, uh, marriage, treatment of others, and we could go on and on and on. And why do we think that worldly wisdom leaves people unsatisfied and unfulfilled? Well, I think we found the answer in chapter 1, that it's God who knows all things, and it's God who's infinitely wise. It's God who created all things and knows what is best. And any wisdom that departs from God's revealed wisdom is is ultimately just faulty and worthless and useless knowledge. So how is seeking wisdom apart from God like chasing the wind? Well, we cannot find true wisdom in anything. 
that differs from what God has revealed in His Word. If we will agree that God exists, and we will agree that God has created all people, then it is God who has made the manual for how us as His creation are to live. And it is His wisdom that we must wholeheartedly uh, uh, find satisfaction in. Because it's only God who knows how, who has designed us to live at the highest function that He has intended. And if I could strip it back and give a little bit of an illustration, it's that we find our greatest joy and we find our greatest happiness by living life according to God's principles and God's rules. And our enemies, this, the world, the flesh, and the devil, have created a system to convince us of the exact opposite, that it is actually God who is hindering us from experiencing the fullness of joy, the fullness of happiness, the fullness of God's intended purpose, that it's God who is limiting us when that's far from the truth. That as we engage in what God and the freedom in Christ as we read about it, of what he has created us for, it's then we will find true fulfillment, true joy, and true happiness. So let us impart this wisdom to the next generation. Let us walk up the winding hillside of this mountaintop and bring people to the summit to see that there is a God and that life under the sun is worthwhile as we live life according to the Son of God. I hope this lesson has been helpful. I look forward to studying with you next time here on the Calvary Couples Podcast.